Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Connect podcast. Today, we'll be interviewing Rob Proctor, a field applications engineer here at RTI. Rob provides insight on the current training and simulation market and how leveraging real-time connectivity can offer a much more realistic simulation experience. We'll also discuss how we can test autonomous systems much faster using simulation modeling. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Connect Podcast. I'm David Barnett, the Vice President of Products and Markets at RTI, and I am here today with Rob Proctor, a Senior Field Applications Engineer with RTI, to talk about the training and simulation market. Rob, thank you for being here today. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. So uh, I'm Rob Proctor. I'm a Senior Field Application Engineer for Real-Time Innovations. And I say real-time innovations and not RTI because of the segment we're going to talk about today, and that's modeling and simulation. Uh, so I've been an FAE for about 12 years now, and what that really means is I'm the first interface between a customer and uh, our products. So as folks uh, come up with requirements, they start doing Google searches, or they see us at conventions and shows, um, they generally find and talk to me. Uh, we are geographically spaced. I cover Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. Okay, thanks. Well, now that you've educated me on the uh, proper use of the RTI acronym, mm -hmm. uh, let's start with an overview of where real-time innovations fits in the training and simulation market. Right. So um, we don't make simulations. We don't really make anything, do we? We make things better. Uh, I always think about the uh, the old BASF commercials. We don't make the ball, we make it shiny. Well, we don't make the simulations, we make them interoperate better. Uh, clearly, we are focused on that. And that's something that's um, kind of strange to folks when they see us at these training and simulation events. And they're like, oh, what kind of simulations do you run? And what kind of training do you provide? And I say, we don't provide any simulations or training. We are a networking interface for real-time communications. So what are some of the current trends in the training and simulation market and some of the challenges that result from those trends? Okay, so let's, uh, let's break it down by segments. So um, in aerospace and defense segment, uh, some of the big nuggets, big rocks that are out there are these major all-encompassing programs. So for the Army, there's something called STE, which is S-T-E, or Synthetic Training Environment. And uh, the STE is an all-encompassing live virtual constructive uh, simulation space, which is going to be all things to all people. Uh, it's going to have a one-world terrain where you can go actually, like let's say you're in San Francisco and you want to quickly go over to the Middle East to zoom in, zoom in on little townships and actually go into buildings and affect scenarios and change things around. The point here is that there's going to be distributed locations uh, with interfacing interoperability between all these different uh, components. So you can have folks in Paris Island interfacing with folks out here in Moffett Field in, in San Francisco. Uh, you can have folks at Eglin Air Force Base interfacing with folks at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Um, so that's kind of the big overall um, theme in aerospace and defense. Uh, the Air Force has one as well. It's called SCARS. Navy is just now looking at interoperability. Um, and of course, since it's aerospace and defense, uh, everything needs to be secure. So uh, that's definitely interoperability, dispersed locations with security. That's the big trend in aerospace and defense. 
there's plenty of other fields, though, when you talk about simulation. There's medical. There's autonomous cars. Um, medical, in particular, is an interesting one because when we talk medical simulations, we're really talking mannequins with uh, thousands of sensors on them and um, trying to learn, uh, train folks to to have better accuracy. And what what you're looking to avoid in that case, since you're not dealing with security, dispersed locations, uh, maybe some interoperability, but what you're really looking for there is to avoid something called negative training. And negative training is almost exactly what it says. Uh, you, you train negatively, and then when you go to operate live, you have improper and incorrect training. So we're trying to avoid that. So we want integrity and fidelity with the data that we're um, dispersing around in our simulations. Uh, finally, the last major um, front in simulation market today is uh, the need for testing within autonomous systems. So obviously autonomous cars is a very important subject. Um, you know, sooner rather than later, we're all going to be sitting back and, and relaxing as the car drives us around. Um, but these things need to be tested out. LIDARs need to be tested out. Uh, swarms of autonomous aerial vehicles need to be tested out. So what is the need there? What is the, what is the compelling event there? Well, for example, an autonomous car can't drive a million miles and do a million miles of testing, actual physical road miles. I mean, it can. It just takes months, possibly years. Well, if you can run things faster than wall time, uh, you can easily uh, speed up those simulations and find issues and problems uh, much more quickly. And the same arises with uh, swarms of autonomous vehicles. We're talking about 30-minute or less battery life for a, a swarm of a 1,000 different um, uh, UAVs doing all sorts of different applications, whether it be inspecting lines for power grids or doing reconnaissance and surveillance or checking out uh, the health of environmental wetlands, um, you need to be able to test those things out in a way that you don't do with real hardware, because real hardware, you might run into these, again, 30-minute battery life requirements that, that kind of uh, defeats the purpose. So if you can simulate that and then test out your network to do things um, in that simulated environment, that is, that's clearly a direction that's happening in this space. So it seems then a common requirement across these different simulators is that they all operate in a very responsive manner that is really fast enough, faster than human perceived real time, so that to the human it actually is behaving in real time and is very realistic, the synthetic environment to the, uh, to the real environment. So it's funny you mentioned that. The, um, the thing I keep hearing in this industry over and over again is that uh, a simulation is an abstract of a real system, right? So it doesn't have to have definitive real-time speeds like uh, a real-time operating system might, like uh, DDS is used in some you know fairly heavy-duty real-time requirement stuff. But it does need to be um, appropriate enough so that it's it's usable by the the end user. In this case, generally speaking, warfighters or folks testing of systems. So I'd say yeah, and it also seems like support for a lot of different types of networks, you know, both uh, local and wide area network uh, is important, you know, given that it sounds like in the UAV example, you know, you could be talking about uh, 
line of sight type networks. You could be talking about, you know, global wide area networks, satellite networks, perhaps in some cases. Or all three in some cases. Absolutely. So uh, thinking about Steve, one of the questions that they're looking to solve right now, is the army going to use army cloud or are they going to use public cloud and use like the, uh, the police ban uh, and, and the bandwidth range for that? Uh, these pose security questions. And so normally, nominally, a simulation environment is there's an instructor, you're in a room, it's a local area network. Um, there could be, you know, 30 to 50 people doing running through exercises. What happens now when you have that simulation with another simulation of exactly the same, another different local area network on a different set of uh, interoperability standards? And how do you make these things talk to each other over a WAN? Um, over a secure WAN. So that's that's clearly what, what we're facing right now in the industry. And uh, what it's done, at least for me in Florida and especially Orlando, is the, the world has kind of come to RTI. And I owe someone a nickel now because I said RTI and not real-time innovations. The world has come to real-time innovations because we meet these gaps. And so how does real-time innovation address these challenges? Uh, you get to save your nickel. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, we are great at security. Um, security for other standards is just non-existent in the simulation field. Uh, we're incredibly great through our qualities of service that come through with DDS to create reliability, uh, to create um, more real-time um, fidelity over these integrated systems that are distributed over vast different locations. So how does the approach taken by the Connext product and DDS standard compare to traditional or legacy solutions used in the training and simulation industry? So that's a really good question. And we have to first um, tease out what are these uh, legacy systems within the industry today? So there is an organization called CISO, which is the Simulation Interoperability Standards Organization. And uh, uh, they maintain about 13 different interoperability standards specifically for simulations. Um, the, the most legacy-related one is um, called DIS, which stands for Distributed Interactive Simulation. And the idea with DIS is that there's these PDUs or program data units, and with these PDUs, they act as APIs, they represent different entities, and they run over a common wire protocol. It's published subscribe, it runs on UDP. There's no quality of service though. There's no notion of discovery, there's no um, security there. It's uh, the latest version of that standard, um, for the wire protocol at least, deals with 1990s technology. Um, fast forwarding from there, CISO also maintains the high level architecture. And this is where we're going to talk about why we say real-time innovations and not RTI. So HLA um, is, is the, the predecessor or the, the what comes next after DIS. Uh, it has a better encyclopedia of different federation object models. They run over something called a runtime infrastructure, an RTI. 
So uh, H-L-A-R-T-I is a common term you hear in our industry all the time. And what a wonderful acronym Real-Time Innovations creates because uh, HLA-RTIs are not well-loved. Um, so it turns out that uh, the an RTI is not interoperable with another RTI. Uh, so these things are proprietary. There are a couple partners out there that Real-Time Innovations have uh, who are HLA-RTI providers. Um, but the the real issue here is that these things don't talk to each other. And and now is uh, I have to tell you a story. So um, ITSEC is the the premier uh, event for training and simulation. It's in Orlando. It's uh, in December. It's a great boondoggle. Come on down to Orlando uh, if you've never been there before. It's a wonderfully large simulation based event. For the last three years, they've had. Um, something called Operation Blended Warrior at, at ITSEC. And Operation Blended Warrior is really precursors to things like STI and SCARS. And this is the, we're going to prove how interoperable our stuff is. Um, sponsored by NAVAIR. So uh, three years ago now, NAVAIR got about 50 different folks in the room, said, hey, do you want to participate in this? This is where we're going to run events, live virtual constructive events, People are going to come in, and we're all going to interoperate together. Uh, so let's find some some ways that we can all talk to each other. So uh, Navair said, "Hey, we want to use um, our Navair HLA RTI. How many folks in this room of about fifty people can run on uh, our RTI?" And less than half a dozen hands went up. And they said, "Well, fine. How many folks can run on this?" And then everyone's hands went up. So. Um, there is a real problem with interoperability with HLA, and even though that's the premier standard, in that one RTI doesn't talk to another RTI. So what good is having a federate object model um, that we all agree to? So if it's, whether it be Reaper farm or some other farm of some kind, but you can't have those things talk to each other. It works great if you're in an enclosed simulation, but if I'm running my HLA RTI and someone else is running their HLA RTI and someone else is running a DIS, and now I have to have these three things inter interface back and forth with each other. And oh, by the way, I want security. How am I going to do that right now? And what Operation Blended Warrior proved um, at ITSEC is that the industry still has a long way to go for interoperability. Now, of course, uh, everything comes off without a hitch. When you're there, you see the, the interactions and you see the simulations and it's kind of neat and they added to it for the, the next couple of years and now this year they're not running it. Um, what you didn't see is that it took months and months of integration and, and, and work to get those things to work together, whereas what the industry is really looking for is the ability to quickly in an ad hoc network, set up these things, have them interoperate with each other, shut them down, move on to something else. So uh, I'd say that right now, with existing um, standards out there, HLA DIS, uh, you just don't have that kind of interaction. But talk about other efforts in this industry. There's um, a couple of things I want to mention. Um, besides HLA and DIS, there's something called TINA. That's the Test Training Enabling Architecture. Uh, it's almost um, test and training. So it's TINA is what it should be called, but it's just TINA, T-E-N-A. Uh, they have something in there called uh, JMedic, Joint Mission Environment Test Capability. 
And the whole point of Tina is uh, yet a third standard within the simulation community for mainly, this one's mainly for testing. Um, but then again, you now have, uh, and, and funny enough, um, for those out there who are actually listening to this podcast, hello, uh, it runs on something called Corba. So Corba is a, a common broker um, where you where all of your messages have to go through two hops. So you're clearly right there uh, losing some fidelity. So every message going through to Tina or just Tina uh, has to go through uh, two hops to get to where it wants to go. So now there's HLA, there's DIS, there's Tina. There's no interoperability between the three of these things. They're all published, subscribed. None of them have qualities of service. They don't do reliability. Um, they don't do uh, heartbeat, liveliness. They don't do any of the number of uh, qualities of service that DDS does. So uh, that kind of begs the question, what's going to happen next? So, Rob, what does come next? Ah, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> So funny, you should ask. The CISO community a couple of years ago came up with an idea. And the idea is this layered simulation architecture, which is basically to say, I'm going to take your chocolate, give it to my peanut butter, and come up with something better. Um, in this case, the chocolate would be the existing federal object models. There's a library of different things that are used out there by Tina, DIS, and HLA. So. Uh, CISO, language or layered simulation architecture, is something that was brought up by CISO a couple of years ago. And the idea here is that we're going to take the chocolate, that is the the federate object models, all these federation classes from TINA, from DIS and HLA, PDUs from DIS, uh, federate object models from, from HLA. And we're going to put them on top of DDS. So we have the common wire protocol we have the interoperability, we have the qualities of service, and in the future we also have the security that comes with um, things like Connects DDS. So uh, the thing with the uh, layered simulation architecture, the LSA, is that it's uh, right now we're at this chicken versus egg phenomenon problem, whereas we've identified that this is something we want to try, and we'd like to actually turn it into a fully functioning standard within CISO. Uh, so we've had a working group. We've had working groups. Um, they've said, yay, verily, let's go off and do it now. And then it kind of stalled for a couple of years because do you write this, the full standard and then create a product? Or do you create a product and then write a standard based off of that? I don't have the answer to that. Although I will say this, with talking with our simulation partners, it seems like they want to see some sort of a prototype first and then they'd be willing to come and work with us in, in the CISO community to, to fill out the, the LSA. And I guess this is kind of how it went with um, OMG and DDS. We had NDDS first. There was uh, a couple other folks with different things. We went to object management group with these products and then created a standard around that. So that's what's happening right now for future within the simulation market. So can you tell me a little bit then about real-time innovations experience in the uh, simulation market uh, so far? Right. So uh, real-time innovations within simulation is nothing new. Uh, when I started doing research within the company to see uh, what we've done in the past, uh, there was a literal treasure trove of white papers, um, data sheets, um, design wins, 
that date back uh, well over a decade at this point in time. I know Dr. Rajiv um, Josie has has written some white papers with Dr. Perardo, and uh, these compare DDS to HLA, for example. Um, so for us, this is really nothing new. We've been involved in the simulation and modeling market for quite some time. We have a a good fair bit of design wins, but um, what's really happened now is that this need for real-time interoperability over distributed locations with security has kind of created a sweet spot for Connect's DDS within simulation. Okay, well, thank you, Rob. I've certainly learned a lot today, including a lot of uh, a lot of new acronyms and some to uh, try to avoid. So, where can our listeners? Uh, go to learn more about uh, the training and simulation market and RTI's solution? Well, I'm so glad you've asked because there's a couple things to talk about. First, there will be a Florida Simulation Summit this year that will be attended by um, our own Dr. Stan Schneider. He's going to be a panelist, and that's the first week of September, uh, right there at the Orange County Convention Center. Uh, the mayor of Orlando is going to be there, so that's kind of exciting for us. We're expecting about 400 folks in the room. Uh, more exciting than that, though, is that this year at ITSEC, we will be presenting um, a tutorial on data distribution service, and that tutorial will be Monday at 8.30. Uh, Andre Automat and myself will be presenting. Be sure to be there. Uh, and if you tell me you listen to this podcast and say the magic word, Rumpelstiltskin. I'll give you uh, a, a free eval of DDS. And is that the only way to take advantage of that offer? It's the only way to get me to, to laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it certainly is not. Right there on our website, of course, you can grab a full 30-day download. Great. Well, thank you very much, Rob. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Connects Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode where we start part one of our interview series with principal software engineer Ken Brophy on RTI Connect tools for distributed system development. Please contact us with questions or suggestions on social media or at podcast at rti.com. Thanks and have a great day.